You are listening to the NC Everything Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to episode six of the show where we talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I'm actually really excited about today's episode. It was on my list of things to cover anyway, but but somebody requested it and moved it closer to the top. This listener request came from Corey from Poughkeepsie, New York. You might hear Corey's name come up right much during this show because, well, he's my brother. Yeah, he's not really from Poughkeepsie, New York. He's actually an export. Well, an export from North Carolina, an import to New York, I guess. But he's one of my faithful listeners. So, Corey, here's your episode on Blackbeard the Pirate. But before we get started, I got to get through the blah, blah, blah. So, for those of you who are still with me, you might have noticed that I changed the intro music. Well, the music I had, I was kind of rushed. I wanted something before I started talking, and I just put something together. But my wife and Ryan from work said it sounded like music of the pornographic nature. And they were pretty much right. And so I did some fishing and I found I found several songs. This is just one that I'm going to use for now. And uh, if you make it all the way to the end, the outro music will be a little different too. Also, even though this is episode six, I'm still trying to find my groove. I've played back some of my episodes and I, I realize that I sound a little monotone. I'm working on sounding a little more excited. Um, I do want you to keep in mind, though, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m., and so right now it's 5.30 while I'm recording this. Um, I don't just want to record early in the morning, but I stay pretty busy, and this is the best time for me to do it for right now. But I'm, I'm probably going to try one in the afternoon just to see the difference of, you know, when I hadn't only been awake for 30 minutes. And lastly... I think I'm going to do a bonus episode on Wednesday. Several friends and family were wondering when the next episode's coming out. And so I thought I'd give a little filler material during the middle of the week. So I'll do a bonus and it won't be a content episode, but it'll be something. And seriously, if y'all hate it, let me know. I'll quit. If y'all like it, I'll keep doing it. But it'll give you something to tide you over, I guess, until Saturday. Oh, yeah. And this is a listener request, and I just want to remind everybody, if you want to request a show or just say hey, you can go to the website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. That's where you'll find links to all our old episodes and links to where you can listen to us on other platforms. And that wraps up that. So let's climb aboard with the most well-known pirate who ever lived, Edward Blackbeard Teach. I just want to say here at the beginning that he had many aliases, And not many people are sure what his actual name was. They've got it narrowed down to Edward Teach or Edward Thatch. But because of the name variation, I'm just going to call him Blackbeard. Everybody loves Blackbeard anyway. Now, I have been reading about Blackbeard pretty much my whole life. I've seen movies. I've read articles. And when they discovered his ship in 1996, I was stupidly excited. I don't know why I'm a kid about pirates and dinosaurs and a few other things you'll learn as we go. But as I was doing this research, I learned something that I had never heard before, and I'm going to save it to the end, but it's super exciting and ridiculously cool, and I know I'm a geek, 
but wait to the end for this little surprise. So not much is really known about his childhood, uh, mainly because of poor record keeping and a lot of pirates changed their names because they didn't want to humiliate their families back home. And, and they speculate that some of them actually wanted to go home after they got rich being a pirate. And so they would change their last name or use some weird nickname. But people think Blackbeard was actually born in 1680 near Bristol, England. At that time, Bristol was a really busy port. A lot of military and passenger ships came in and out and they were going all over the world from like Africa, India, Asia, and including the New World. And they believe he might have came from a wealthy family because recovered artifacts indicated that he could actually read and write, which is pretty rare for your typical sailor or middle to poor class individual back then. Now, during this time when he would have been growing up, there was a lot of fighting done between France, Spain, and England. Now, on the open sea, for England, in addition to the Royal Navy, they used something they called privateers. Now, privateers would chase down enemy ships, attack them, plunder everything on board. A lot of times they would take the prisoners and they would send the the booty back to England. They were supposed to. Um, a lot of them kept a lot of it. That's why a lot of people wanted to be privateers. By the way, I'm not going to keep saying booty. That's ridiculous. But privateers were essentially legal pirates. So back to Blackbeard. They think he arrived in the Caribbean in the late 1600s, and this would have put him around his 20s, and they think he was a sailor on a slave or privateer ship during Queen Anne's War. Queen Anne was the Queen of England around this time, and Queen Anne's War was the second in a series of French and Indian wars that were fought in the 13 colonies that would become the eastern United States. By the time Blackbeard arrived in the Caribbean, uh, he was kind of late to the pirate game. Piracy had been going on for a long time, and this era was called the Golden Age of Pirates. But they don't think that he showed up in the Caribbean and immediately strung up his pirate flag. They're pretty sure he started out as a privateer. However, in 1716, the hostilities in Europe ended. The problem with that was there was a lot of privateers who were doing really well privateering, and they didn't want to go back home to England to an uncertain future. And so a lot of them did run up their pirate flag and keep on doing what they were doing. But of course, it wasn't legal anymore. Now, even though the war was over, I can imagine England didn't really mind if some pirates attacked French and Spanish ships, but most pirates weren't selective like that. They attacked every ship at this point, including England's. So anyway, in 1716, with the end of the fighting, Blackbeard becomes a crew member of the English pirate named Captain Benjamin Hornigold, and he operated out of New Providence, Nassau. By the way, the reason I say operated out of is because there are certain places around the Caribbean where pirates could hide out, people would help keep them safe. It was like a pirate haven. Port Royal was another famous one. Anyway, Hornigold didn't have a ship and a crew. He had a small fleet of ships, each with their own crew. He'd actually been a really successful pirate for many years, but what I read, most of his piracy was done on the eastern side of the world. So while Blackbeard is running with Hornigold, Hornigold notices Blackbeard is pretty good at being a pirate. So eventually he gives Blackbeard the command of his own sloop. Now a sloop is a, a small ship that doesn't sit very deep in the water, and it's usually favored by pirates because it's pretty fast. So now Blackbeard and Hornigold are essentially partners. But Hornigold had one major rule. 
We don't attack British ships. Even though he was a pirate, he was still loyal to the crown. So he would attack French and Spanish and even a couple dudes out on a weekend fishing trip, but he would not attack British ships. And this didn't set well with his crew, including Blackbeard. So in 1717, Hornigold leaves the ship. Now I read that he was pretty much kicked off the ship and I've read that he went off willingly. But either way, Hornigold leaves the ship and Blackbeard ends up captain of his own fleet. And so Blackbeard says, hey, look at me, I'm the captain now. And Hornigold actually accepts a pardon from England and retires to the Bahamas. Side note, Hornigold didn't stay in retirement very long. He didn't return to piracy, he actually became a pirate hunter, which sounds really cool. I might read up on that later. I don't know if it would fit in the podcast, but we have to stick with Blackbeard for now. Okay, where was I? Oh, this is where Blackbeard starts putting together his image. Um, apparently a lot of people actually didn't grow beards back then. I guess it was a mustache thing, but Blackbeard found out that he could grow a really impressive looking black beard. And so he grew it really long and tied it into what I read was two pigtails. And then he tied it off with colored ribbon. Now, a few of the articles I read, they talked about the ribbon like it was a scare tactic, but I'm not really sure why Ribbon would have been scary unless they just thought the man was a lunatic for tying stuff like that on his face. But anyway, to add to his intimidation tactic, he would tuck slow burning fuses, either I read in his beard or under the brim of his hat, and he'd light them before battle. As for weapons, he had from his shoulder to his hip, a belt that had two or three holsters that held two or three pistols. I also read that he had two of those belts so that he would carry six pistols. In his waist, he had more pistols, several daggers, and an oversized cutlass. And a cutlass is just a short sword with kind of an arc in it, like a, like a curve in it. I know while I was reading this, I was picturing him putting on all these knives and swords and uh, fuses in his hair. And I couldn't help but picture a getting dressed montage from Batman and Robin. And if you know what that is, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. It was a stupid movie. But they say many crews actually surrendered on sight of him. And they say Blackbeard was educated. I think this actually reinforces it. I mean, because a lot of pirates would actually just rush in and try to kill everybody and shoot all their bullets and hope they survived in the end. But Blackbeard had the forethought to use these theatrics to get into the head of his enemies so they would already be on edge before he ever made the first threat. On November 28th, 1717, Blackbeard captures a French ship named La Concorde after attacking it with two sloops. Now the pirates took La Concorde to the island of Baquia in the Grenadines and the French crew and the enslaved Africans were put on shore. Four of the Frenchmen voluntarily joined the pirates and 10 others were taken by force. This included a pilot, three surgeons, two carpenters, two sailors, and the cook. Now a pilot on a ship is pretty much a navigator and he oversees some of the duties on board. Blackbeard and his crew decided to keep the lock on the cord and left the French the smaller of the two pirate sloops. So he fixes this ship up and renames it Queen Anne's Revenge. And they say this ship was massive as far as pirate ships go. It was 103 feet long and weighed 200 tons. And they say it was pretty fast despite its size. Now a theory about the name Queen Anne's Revenge. Queen Anne, like I said, was the ruler of England, but she was from the House of Stuart. Now she died in 1714, and then the crown went to the House of Hanover. 
Now, if you're like me and you really couldn't care less about the royal family, so you're wondering who is the House of Hanover, the House of Hanover eventually sent us King George. King George eventually sent General Cornwallis over here to get an American ass whooping in 1775. And he also gave us Queen Victoria, who ruled until 1901. So anyway, by naming the ship the Queen Anne's Revenge, he may have been declaring his support for the House of Stuart and giving a metaphorical middle finger to the House of Hanover. And the last thing about the ship, he eventually added some more cannons to it, bringing the total up to 40. And eventually he amassed a crew of about 300 men. But remember, he didn't have 300 men on the Queen Anne's Revenge. That ship was designed to hold about 150. He had two or three sloops with him most of the time. So this was around 300 men on one big ship and two or three smaller ones. And before I continue his story, we got to talk about the flag. The flag has actually been a source of argument for years. So the, the flag is described as having a horn skeleton holding an hourglass in one hand and a spear piercing a heart in the other hand, and under the heart were three drops of blood. But the first time this flag actually appears is in an article in a publication called Mariner's Mirror in 1912. It was actually not even associated with Blackbeard until years later. And as far as the symbols go, they say in the 18th century, the devil was never depicted as a skeleton, and death has never been shown to actually have horns before. Now, I would assume he had just a solid black flag, but I actually found one of the very few eyewitness accounts of Blackbeard's attacks, and I want to read this to you. Don't worry, it's pretty short. Now, this came from a survivor on a merchant ship called the Protestant Caesar. The witness says, A large ship and sloop with black flags and death heads in them, and three more sloops with bloody flags all bore down upon the said ship, Protestant Caesar. The ship had 40 guns and 300 men, called the Queen Anne's Revenge. So that sounds like they had just black flags with a skull on them. Not even a skull and crossbones, just a skull. So let's move on to one of Blackbeard's most infamous attacks. It's late May 1718, and he blocks the entrance to Charleston Harbor. Now, Charleston Harbor at the time was one of the most important ports for the southern colonies. So Blackbeard is just hanging out in the mouth of the Charleston Harbor and he's looting every ship coming and going and the crews of these ships are riding into Charleston and telling the governor what he had done. Now that's kind of what he wanted. He wanted them to know that he was out there and he wasn't going to stop. Eventually a ship called the Crawley came along and he attacked it, but this time he decided to keep the crew hostage and Blackbeard was demanding medicine. Otherwise he'd kill the hostages. I couldn't find exactly what he wanted the medicine for, but I did find that a lot of times Blackbeard wasn't just taking gold and jewels. A lot of times he would take books and poetry and just stuff that seemed pretty unorthodox to your typical textbook pirate. But after four days of heeing and hawing, they eventually gave him the medicine he wanted and he moved on without a single shot being fired. Now from here, Blackbeard sails up the coast to North Carolina. And it was around this time that the Queen Anne's Revenge went aground outside Beaufort, North Carolina, and it was abandoned. They say that Blackbeard actually intentionally grounded his ship so that he could break his crew up. So after it was determined that the ship was good and stuck, he marooned some of his crew and handpicked others to go with him. I read that it was about 20 men. Now, if he did intentionally break his crew up like this... Now, there's no real evidence as to why he would have done this, 
but maybe he was retiring, which he does do in a minute. And he didn't want to have to tell 300 men that he was giving up piracy because they might've killed him. Now, a lot of people who've read too much treasure Island thinks that he had a big treasure and he didn't want to split it up with 300 men. So he broke his crew up. So he'd only had to split it up with 20 men. Well, the next month in June of 1718, Blackbeard and his 20 men sailed through the Ocracoke Inlet and entered Pamlico Sound. Now, from here, they headed for the town of Bath. That's the oldest town in North Carolina, and it's on the Pamlico River. And this is actually about 50 miles inland from the ocean. Now, when he got to Bath, he received a pardon from Governor Charles Eden. This pardon was supposedly offered by the King of England in an effort to suppress piracy, but Governor Eden was a crook, so he might have came up with the pardon himself. Eventually, Governor Eden supposedly brokered a deal with the pirate. Pretty much, you take care of my piggy bank, and I'll make sure you keep breathing. Now, I don't know how much evidence there is to actually support that, but most of the articles I read, they spoke like it was the gospel that Governor Eden was crooked. So Blackbeard made a home in Bath, and eventually he married his 14th wife. She was actually a girl 16 years old, and she was the daughter of a Bath County planner. Now, Governor Eden actually performed a marriage ceremony himself. Now, as you might guess, the retired life didn't set well with Blackbeard, so eventually he was back out to sea plundering ships again. And he was bringing his, uh, his booty back to Bath, and supposedly he was splitting it with Governor Eden. But let me just cut to the chase and say that no Blackbeard treasure has ever actually been recovered. Now, even though I say Blackbeard was back out to sea, he spent most of the rest of his days in Pamlico Sound, usually on the sound side of the southern tip of Ocracoke Island. Now, even though Blackbeard and Eden were pals by this time, Virginia and South Carolina hated Blackbeard. And they knew he was holed up in North Carolina and that he was getting protection from Governor Eden. And something else that was pissing off the governors of Virginia and South Carolina was that Blackbeard wasn't exactly keeping a low profile. Out of his supposed hideout on Ocracoke Island, he was throwing these huge parties. And the guests at these parties were other pirates. So Virginia and South Carolina, and a lot of people in North Carolina, thought that Blackbeard was starting another pirate haven like Port Royal on Ocracoke Island. Which I want to say, because I am a, a geek about pirates, that would have been pretty awesome. Not for British ships, but definitely for history books. Governor Alexander Spotswood of Virginia was pretty tired of watching Blackbeard attack all these ships and watching Governor Eden do very little to stop it. Plus, he felt like Governor Eden was weak or in Blackbeard's pocket, and he was right on both accounts. To make matters even worse, Virginians didn't like North Carolinians. Virginia was a well-established colony, and North Carolina just wasn't. They felt like we were backwoods or, you know, we were the new guys in town, I guess. I say this because when Governor Spotswood started planning an illegal invasion into North Carolina to get Blackbeard, a lot of the Virginians didn't care that it was illegal. So Spotswood sends two forces to North Carolina. He sends some troops over land to Bath because he knew that's where Blackbeard had a house and he assumed that's where Blackbeard would be. But Spotswood also knew that Blackbeard had a hideout on Ocracoke Island. So by sea, he sent two ships the Ranger, and the Jane. These were under command of Robert Maynard. Now, these ships were smaller, and they couldn't carry any cannons. 
So if they got into battle, they would have to rely on their small arms. It sounds like the battle of the T-Rexes, they had to rely on their small arms too. Anyway, Maynard anchored the two ships off the coast of Ocracoke in the cover of darkness. His plan was that in the morning, at sunrise, he would quietly initiate a surprise attack. So morning came, he advanced his ships, and in perfect North Carolina fashion, his ships got stuck on a sandbar. You gotta love the Outer Banks. This sandbar accident gave away his surprise attack, but when he looked, he saw Blackbeard himself coming out of the inlet. And I just wonder if this was a rut row moment, because they were not planning on Blackbeard being there at all. I read that when Blackbeard saw what was going on, he started screaming profanities at Maynard and then fired his broadside cannons at the Ranger and the Jane. This killed the commander of the Ranger and scattered most of the men on the Jane. Now thinking very quickly, Maynard decided to set a trap. He ordered all his men except for the pilot and the midshipmen below decks. Now Blackbeard, seeing that the deck of the Jane was empty, pulled up close to the Jane and jumped aboard. And as soon as he did, the midshipmen gave the signal, and about a dozen men, including Maynard, came rushing up from below decks. A vicious fight broke out, and I read several sources that said this fight lasted for six minutes. And six minutes sounds really specific. I'm not sure how they know that, but it was probably three or four articles that said that it was a six-minute battle. During this battle, Blackbeard was shot five times and had over 20 severe cuts on his body. Now, one version I read on Blackbeard's last moments said that while he was fighting Maynard, a Scottish soldier on Maynard's crew came up and ran a sword through his neck. And Blackbeard was quoted as saying, well done, lad, well done. And with this, the Scotsman says, well, if it's not well done, I'll do it again. And he pulls the sword out and immediately chops off Blackbeard's head. Now, that sounds really badass, but it's probably not true. But either way... Blackbeard did die in that battle. His head was chopped off and his body was thrown overboard. His head was put onto the bowsprit of Maynard's ship. Now, bowsprit is that long pointy nose thing at the front of a ship. Now, keeping the head would be proof that Blackbeard was indeed killed because there was a 100-pound sterling silver bounty on Blackbeard's head and Maynard wanted it. Ultimately, Blackbeard's head ended up in a piling in Hampton, Virginia, as a warning to other pirates. The surviving members of Blackbeard's crew ended up in a jail in Williamsburg, and all but two of them were eventually hanged in Williamsburg. But that is not the end of the story. Fast forward 278 years. Now we're in 1996, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. A company named Intersol Incorporated discovered a wreck off the coast of Beaufort, North Carolina. Now, Intersol Incorporated were private salvagers out of Palm Beach, Florida. Now, not long after they found the wreck, they speculated that they thought it was the Queen Anne's Revenge. And everybody involved assumed it was the Queen Anne's Revenge. They were pretty sure. But it actually wasn't definitively confirmed until 2011 that it was indeed the Queen Anne's Revenge. Also, this made this the only pirate ship to have ever been recovered. Now, Kimberly Kenyon, who's the field director for the excavation of the Queen Anne's Revenge, has written about some of the stuff they have found. This includes two dozen cannons, a 1712 travel book, remains of wild boar, deer, and turkey, which is actually a sign that they hunted for fresh meat, 250,000 bits of lead shot, 400 cannonballs, dozens of grenades, lots of muskets, and a bell with the date 1705 engraved on it. 
but they've only actually excavated half the ship. And this is because of the legal problems they've run into. You see, North Carolina and Intersaw Incorporated, the people who found the wreck in 1996, well, they made an agreement in 1998. Intersaw could make copyrighted photos and videos of the wreck, and North Carolina divers could handle the excavations. Well, in 2013, problems did arise. There was some kind of problem between Intersaw Incorporated and Nautilus Productions, which is a company out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Nautilus was filming the site, so I'm assuming they probably released some pictures and Intersaw had a problem with it because they had the copyright rights. Anyway, that was eventually resolved, but then in 2015, the legislature passed a law that said all images of the Queen Anne's Revenge were automatically property of North Carolina, and this made them public record and not subject to copyright laws. And of course, Intersaw Incorporated said, uh-uh. So anyway, Intersaw and Nautilus have filed another suit and excavations of the wreck have been halted ever since 2015. So in short, the whole country gets denied this amazing historical treasure because of a monetary pissing contest between oceanic dumpster divers. Now, if you're still with me, I know not all of you are, but maybe some of you, do you remember the surprise ending I mentioned at the beginning? Well, here it is. I have read about Blackbeard, like I said, most of my life, and I didn't learn this until last week when I was researching this. There is a man named Bayless Brooks, and he's a Florida-based maritime historian and genealogist. Now, nobody knows exactly where Blackbeard was actually born, but he wondered if maybe he was born in Jamaica instead of actually just sailing there when he was in his 20s. So in the summer of 2014, Brooks starts looking around Jamaica for any descendants of Blackbeard by searching his last name, Teach and Thatch. And bam, he found a baptismal record of Cockstatch, a son of Edward and Lucretia Threech. Now, Threech and Thatch were common variations of each other. Now, this baptismal record was made in the Jamaican settlement of Spanish Town in 1700. Now, somehow or another, Brooks knew that an English visitor to Jamaica in 1739 made reference to meeting members of Blackbeard's family residing in Spanish Town. So he got the help of a researcher named Diane Golding Frankson. And together, they discovered that Edward Thatch, who Brooks believes was Blackbeard's father, was a captain and a man of status who remarried twice. Lucretia was his last wife. Now, Frankson had recovered a document found on a shelf in the parish archives that was written in 1706. This document was written aboard a 60-gun Royal Navy ship, Windsor, while it was anchored at the harbor of Jamaica's Port Royal, and the author was Edward Thatch's son, also named Edward Thatch. This document was a deed, and it turned his late father's estate over to his stepmother, Lucretia. If Brooks is right, then Blackbeard joined the Royal Navy and turned his father's estate over to his Jamaican family. Now, he checked the logbooks of that ship, the Windsor, and he discovered that an Edward Thatch had arrived in England aboard a Barbados merchant ship on April 12, 1706. The young man joined the crew while the ship was anchored off England's Isle of Wight near Portsmouth. So here's Brooks's theory. Blackbeard, as a young boy, left Bristol with his family to seek their fortune in Jamaica. In Jamaica, sugar was known as white gold. His family owned enslaved Africans, and they appear to have been of high social status. 
So Blackbeard grows up in Jamaica, joins the Navy, leaves his stepfamily the estate, works as a privateer, becomes a pirate, and the rest is known history. Brooks goes on to say that this would explain why he got along so well with Governor Eden in Bath, and it certainly explains why he could read and write, and why he had the forethought to use theatrics to manipulate his victims. And I really like this theory a lot. I think a lot of people have romanticized Blackbeard, and I'm afraid I'm guilty. And this is evident by how much he is in our pop culture. There's been a lot of books written about pirates, and very few of them don't include Blackbeard, and he's made several film appearances. My least favorite is the Pirates of the Caribbean 4. I love that franchise, but what they did to Blackbeard in there was just a travesty. But actually, my favorite movie is called Blackbeard's Ghost. It's a 1968 film starring Peter Usanov and Dean Jones. It's actually a comedy. I'll read you my summary of it. Steve, the town's new gym teacher, books a room at a bed and breakfast that was the former home of Blackbeard himself. He accidentally awakens the ghost of the pirate and after some threats and aggravation reluctantly helps Blackbeard find his lost treasure as he learns that it's the only way to get rid of the annoying spirit. A comical adventure unfolds as Steve tries to acclimate to his new town, all while Blackbeard, invisible to everyone but Steve, has some fun messing with the townspeople and looking for his treasure. Now it is an old movie, and I remember loving it, but I don't really know if I'd love it now or not. It's been years since I've seen it. So if you were doing the math during this episode, Blackbeard was really only a pirate for a couple years, and really he was only well-known for a year. Yet he has left such a mark on our history. And I think that's a testament of how well he sold his image. I mean, Hornigold was a career pirate for years. And apparently he was well known overseas. And I had never heard of him until I'd done the research. But Blackbeard's a pirate for two years. And I've heard about him my entire life. And I just think that's pretty incredible. But that's really all I have on Blackbeard. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you like the show, leave a comment, let me know, follow me on Facebook. So I know you're there. Also, if you follow me on Facebook, you should get notifications when a new episode drops. This is a weekly podcast. So new episodes should come out on Saturdays. If for some reason something is wrong, I'll let you know on Facebook, but you can visit us at www.thencevertingpodcast.com. And listen to past episodes and just check us out there. I might start putting some pictures up. And there you can find links on how to contact me and other platforms where you can listen to us. Well, thanks for listening. And I hope it was educational and entertaining. And I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from ArchesAudio.com.